I saw. So God put this on my heart, my heart, my heart. And I was thinking about it. I was like, God, do I really have to speak this? I have a recycled message that would work great right now. And God said, nah, so we're, here we are. I don't know if this is really a title, but it's what I'm going to be preaching on is we can't expect God to do something for us if we don't do something for him. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will hear their land. And then Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I have my introduction in my notes, so I'm going to have to scroll down a little bit. I want to talk to you about how we can expect God to do something for us. But like, yeah, Our relationship with God is a, cover, is a covenant relationship, and we need to treat it like one. Sometimes in our everyday lives, we take him for granted, whether that be skipping a day of praying or just not giving him worship or praise like he deserves. I think sometimes we forget that God is who he is and that we don't have to do a lot to make him happy. God literally gave us instructions on how to show him praise and the glory that he deserves. To give you all an example, when I was younger, I was not a worshiper or someone who got excited when the spirit started to move. I was a church bench warmer, if I'm being honest. I didn't care what was happening in church. I was taking God for granted, not caring what he was doing for me. I was thinking about the second church ended and when I was doing something like, what fun will happen after church? What fun can I do? But in those moments when I didn't think about doing something for him, he was moving in my life. When I was 12 years old, he filled me with the Holy Ghost. And that was amazing. But I still thought, like, man, this stuff is not worth it. This stuff is not, like, God's amazing. But is it worth giving up something else? Something better. And then, a couple years later, I was still just moving around. If, my, if people were in the church praying early, I was listening to something I shouldn't have been. If people were praying, I was not. I was sitting there with just waiting, waiting for the second that service was over so I could go out. But God had a different plan for my family. God's plan, I really think, saved me. Because as my parents started praying, God told them it was time for a change, and he brought us here. When that happened, I thought my world was over. I was like, man, this is terrible. What am I going to do? My friends are back home. My lifestyle is back home. And the God I thought I knew was back home. But in all that, little did I know, my life was about to change. When I came here, I was still a bench warmer. Within two months, I was a worshiper. I was a starter for the Lord. My worship went from non-existent to me praying every single worship service to be bolder and to give him all my praise. When I started giving myself to the Lord, it was the best thing I could have done. So, y'all, in conclusion, if anyone here is struggling with something that just 
like, man, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Remember that God is always with you, and he will always be there for you. Like, I kind of stole my thunder here with half of the stuff I was going to talk about. So I guess that means we're all on the tra- same train of thought here, because I was talking to Brother Littles today, and we've all just kind of been having some of the same thoughts lately. Um, so my title today is Stop Checking Boxes. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. It's going to be New Living Translation is what I have. And then I'm also going to scroll down and read from Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went up, they went up to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip. Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas, the son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Scrolling down to chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared, settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit as it began speaking in other, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for being in this place today, God. We're so thankful for the presence that we've already felt in this place today, God. I pray that you just continue to bless this service as we move forward in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I don't know if we have any baseball fans in here, but for the most part, baseball, from a scouting perspective, was done in a pretty basic way. You know, scouts go to the game, they watch the baseball players, they look for a certain speed or a curve for a pitcher, see if they can really spin that ball. They look, they listen for a sound of a bat and they would kind of just project who they thought would be good, either college or major league players, just typically based on something like that. Um, Around 2002, a new scenario came out. Maybe some of you have heard of the book or maybe you've heard of the movie. Uh, It was called Moneyball. And uh, it started with the Oakland A's. Billy Bean was the general manager. He was a five-star player or five-tool player. That means he was should have theoretically been good at everything, but he kind of didn't pan out as a pro. And now he's the general manager of the Oakland A's. And if you know baseball at all, you know that Oakland really doesn't have any money when it comes to baseball. They can't compete with, like, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Mets nowadays. If you guys follow baseball, the Mets spend, like, $336 million a year, which is crazy. But he was getting ready to lose all these young, talented players that they had spent years growing through their farm system. They were losing their three best players. To the, one of them went to the Yankees, one went to the Red Sox, and I can't remember where the other one went. I think he might actually went to the Cardinals. Um, but he was tired of doing things the same. He didn't know how he was going to replenish his baseball team that had just made it to the playoffs, and he was losing his three best players. So what he ended up doing is going away from that traditional mold of just looking to see what the sound was going to be off the bat or how a player looked. And he decided to dive into analytics um, of baseball. 
basically put all the stats into the computer and they would kind of spit out what this person could do effectively and how they could be productive on a team. They may have not looked like a great player that was going to hit 40 or 50 home runs, but they found ways to put nine players on a baseball field that were going to be competitive. What they did was they took cast-offs. I remember if you've ever seen the movie, and I don't condone it, but uh, if you've seen it, I saw a clip of it the other day. It was a bunch of old guys sitting around in a room, and they're like, oh, that's a great-looking guy. The ball sounds really good coming off his bat, and he's like, but he can't hit a curveball, so what's the point of that? And they just couldn't get it wrapped around their head that they needed to change. And then he started showing them the different analytics, and they started grabbing players that people didn't didn't want, whether it was maybe they had surgery so they didn't think they could do well anymore. Maybe it was, I remember one, his name was Chad Bradford, if you know who that is. He threw kind of sidearm like down here. Nobody wanted him because his release came down near his kneecap. But they didn't realize that he was a great pitcher. So they just completely changed the way and really went to stats and analytics and just took a deeper dive. And it completely transcended baseball. The Oakland A's, I can't remember how many games they won that year, but they, I know they went to the American League Championship. And today, Moneyball is still being used, and just about every organization has a very heavy analytics program, for better or for worse. But the game has changed, and Oakland went from being someone that couldn't compete with top-level teams, but being able to compete because they were able to find the right players to fit in a team. I feel like sometimes we can get caught up in our own mundane routines at church as well, right? Church typically is a routine. We come Wednesday, we come Sunday, maybe every once in a while we have another service sprinkled in there, but we kind of just check it off most days. Uh, Braden was talking about maybe there was things we want to do afterwards, right? I can tell you uh, during the sports season, it's very hard for me to keep my mind right. My Bears went 3-14 and 14 this year. They were the worst team in football. About 12-05, 12-10 started rolling around. I don't know if you guys saw me in the winter, but typically I would say hello, goodbye, and I was out the door because I wanted to watch the Bears play. And if Pastor was going a little too long, I would like look at my watch like I had somewhere better to be. And again, my team wasn't even good. Um, or maybe you just have plans. Like I know Pastor always says a thing like let your roast burn because it's better than you burning in hell, right? But we start thinking about those different things or maybe, I don't know if we have anybody in here that like to take afternoon naps on Sunday. I like naps, but Sunday afternoon naps hit different, if you know what I mean. Or maybe it's on a more serious note. Maybe you're just stressed out in life and you're feeling busy and you're just feeling weighed down. And even if you have a little bit of moment of relief here, you just know that you're going back home to these different stresses, these different things. Or maybe the devil's in your ear. And he's trying to bring up things of your past that God has brought you from. But he keeps telling you that you're not good enough to be in his calling because you've done this or you've done that. And he's weighing us down with the things that we've done in our past. Galatians 5, 1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We don't have to feel those things anymore because we've been freed of those things that God has, you know, led us away from. Galatians 3.22 says, But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Again, the devil tries to use our past to keep us standing in place and not truly doing what God has called us to do. 
He is so quick to just point out those faults. And a lot of times, and maybe it's just me, I'm talking to myself. Usually if I'm speaking, it's something that's in my life. I'm so quick to just fall back into like, well, maybe I can't do this because I've done this. Maybe I'm not good enough to worship. But scripture says that when we're filled, we're free. There is a freedom in Jesus over sin, right? Freedom to worship, freedom to do what God is calling us to do. We need to make sure that we're walking in that freedom today, that no matter what circumstances come up, no matter what we've done in our life, we understand that we are free because we've been born again. I'm sure most of us have seen what's going on across the nation right now in different college campuses, specifically Asbury to be, you know, very specific. And I was kind of reading those original verses that I read in Acts, you know, right before the Holy Spirit, you know, was ascended upon uh, the disciples. And I started seeing a few similarities of how the outpourings are happening over there. I don't know if any of you have read or watched any videos about what's going on there, but if you've seen it, it was on Fox News on Tucker Carlson's show. They were like, so if I have this correct, someone just kind of came up and started talking about their faults and what, you know, where their weaknesses are. And then people started sharing that. And then they started uniting together in prayer. Sounds an awful lot like how they were united together in prayer, you know, in the upper room, right? And God's spirit just began to pour out on them just from them just realizing that they need God. And since then, obviously, we've seen now, what are we on? Like week three of revival where there's thousands of people inside, thousands of people outside, and people just wanting to experience what's going on on the Asbury campus right now. You see, it's all about expectations there. People are going expecting to see God move, expecting to see miracles happen. You know, so many times in our life, our own expectations can dictate how God moves in our life. Sometimes we think about God and how he created us and how he planned our existence and how he gave us purpose for our life, right? But even though God has a plan and a purpose for our life, it doesn't mean that we actually have to follow it, right? God gave us free will. So, so many times we think that maybe I'm going down a slightly wrong path, but God, God knows, right? God, God has this all worked out for me. But we have to make sure that we hold steadfast because we have free choice. And that's why we have to make sure that we're following after the will of God and that we're following after what scripture says. A good illustration of this is when um, the Israelites, they're roaming around the desert in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 and 18. God tells them simply like this. Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and you will multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long a good life in a land that you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Again, church so many times for us becomes about routine, right? Two songs, offering announcements, one song, then a special, preaching, altar, shed a tear, go home, eat your roast, 
watch the football game if it's me, and we just go on with life, and we're happy with that because we felt God for 45 minutes to an hour. I don't want that to be what we are as a church anymore. I feel like God is calling us to something different. There is no reason that the revivals that are going on around the nation shouldn't be happening here in Kennett. But it is all about expectation and what we put into it. Me and Brother Littles were talking about that today. We're like, man, we always dream about these revivals and 100 soul, 200 soul revivals where we're just opening up the church all the time. But then we start thinking about it. It's like, that means we got to be here every day. We got to think about that, right? Where are, do our hearts really lie? Is it about just checking a box saying that God, you're with me and God, you know, I'm a good Christian. I'm going to do this and that. Or do we really want to see that revival where we're here every day? Do we hunger for that? Is that all we desire? Everything we do needs to be centered around seeing God move in our community, in our families, and in our world. It's so desperate. Our world is so desperate for it. Like, again, we see it all around us right now. Do we really want that revival? Are we really willing to put in the work that it's going to take to see that happen? Our world is ready to hear the plan of salvation. They're looking for something. We've been talking in uh, youth class the last three or four weeks about uh, it's a, a lesson that the UPC put out for youth and hyphen. It's called Vintage Truth. And I think it was like 66% of people they polled don't believe that there is a real truth, that truth is relative, and you can kind of believe whatever you want, and that's okay because it's your truth. Has anybody ever heard that, your truth or my truth? And that's what the world preaches right now. That's what they think. Like, everybody can do whatever they want, and that's okay. And that's a terrible way to live. There are absolutes in life. There are things that are right. There are things that are wrong. And that lesson goes on to say that everything we do needs to be relative to what the Bible says is truth. So we've been speaking on that today, or the last few weeks, and we've been talking about how there's one God, right? And learning who that one God is and his love for us and what he did for us. We've been talking about baptism. We've been talking about repentance and all these things. Our world needs to know about repentance and how repentance, when we repent, we identify with Jesus' death. And we need to understand that John the Baptist commanded people to repent. Matthew chapter 3 and 2 says, And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus also says it as well in Matthew chapter 14. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, we have to have that in our hearts, a daily repentance, so that we can go out and tell other people about how God brought us out, right? And then we can tell them about his baptism, right? And how we can identify with Jesus' burial through our baptism. Us dying of our old ways. Yes, I may have been someone that was lost before, but now I'm a new person because I've been uh, buried. That dead person is gone. And then we can talk about how when we repent and when we're baptized in Jesus' name, how we were promised to receive his Holy Spirit, God living in us, dwelling with us. Our world needs that today. They need us to be repentant, baptism, Holy Ghost-filled people who are speaking that into our community. Again, that Asbury revival is amazing. It's awesome to see what God's doing there. But we need to see that here locally as well. And I believe that God is calling us to a new level. It's just about what level of expectation are we going to put into it today. And as I said, me sometimes too. Even this week, I was talking to Brother Littles about it. I'm going to Chicago probably tomorrow now. I've decided I'm going to leave a day early. 
been so excited about it all week. I haven't seen my friends, right? Haven't um, got to do go to the, my favorite restaurants and things like that. So I got like my whole weekend planned out, going to a Bulls game Sunday, even though they're terrible. Um, so excited about it that I kind of glossed over the service. Like, I just kind of want to get in here, have a good, you know, clap my hands for a few minutes. And, you know, and God convicted me this morning, like to the point to where I was weeping because I was passing up a moment to draw closer to God. Because I was so just caught up in doing carnal things. And so many times we do that with God. And we just have to, and I'm talking to me, I have to change my mindset about how I want to see God move in my life. Do I really want expectation? Do I really have the expectation that God can do anything in here? Um, I've had a conversation with my friends too. Uh, We were talking about NAYC and he was like, man, God just moves different there. And that statement makes me so mad. Because it's literally the same God there that is in this building here. But every single time, it's about our expectation. We're expecting God to do things at those conferences and things like that. But sometimes we're not expecting God to do things here. We're pastors out of town. We're not expecting God, you know, to do anything because pastor's away, right? But we need to just come with a fresh mindset that God can move anytime he's in our presence. Anytime we gather together, anytime we pray, anytime we worship, God can move. Miracles can happen. It doesn't matter where we're at, who we're with. If we're expecting God to do something, he's there and he's ready to move. So as uh, I invite the music, I invite Brother Littles up. If you all want to stand, I just, that's where my heart is right now. I just want to see God move in this city. I want to see God just have his way. And I want to get out of the way because so many times I'm in the way of God moving in our services. I'm in the way because I'm thinking about other things or what I'm going to do after service. And I just want to stop doing that in my own life and just let God have his way.